This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Hello and welcome to the Mad Bad and Downright Strange Showcase and more importantly the first edition of the AC Film Club or Asian Cinema Film Club if you want to be particular. Um, new monthly sub-show where we'll be aiming to provide an introduction to Asian cinema by highlighting on each episode a film worth hunting down. Uh, joining me from these episodes is my co-host Stephen Lever of Willow Ramblings as well as Eastern Kicks. Uh, welcome back to the show Stephen. Thank you very much for having me I would. Last time you were on, it was, we were obviously on the Asian horror kick. Tonight, we're going to be on an anime kick, as with the release of the American remake of Ghost in the Shell, controversially starring Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Tonight, we're obviously going to look at the original anime from 1995, uh, directed by Mamoru Urishi. This legendary anime is often listed as being one of the best animes of all time, perhaps falling just behind Akira for that top spot. Mamoru Urishi is probably also best known for directing the likes of Platinum 1 2, as well as the sequel to this film, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. Uh, he also Dallin, had dances with live action with both Avalon and Assault Girls as well. But this anime, for those not familiar, is based on the manga by uh, Masume Shiro, who also gave us Dominion Tank Police and Appleseed. And the film itself is set in the year 2029, where the world has now become interconnected via a vast electronics network, and where the majority of humanity chooses to access this network for the use of cybernetics. The film itself follows the cyborg Major Kusanagi, who's the team leader of Section 9, who are currently trying to attract an elusive hacker known as the Puppet Master. Now, Ghost in the Shell, for myself, was one of those entry points along with Akira and probably on the more extreme end of things, Go Nagi's Devil Man as this entry point into anime. And really, around the time this was released, especially here in the UK, a lot of the anime was released was either Demon, Schoolgirl, uh, sort of hentai porn, and we had lots of giant mecha and lots of action anime, which was being mainly released through manga entertainment here in the UK, often giving people the mistake that anime was called manga. But despite these titles being released, Ghost in the Shell, like Akira, managed to rise and become very popular within the mainstream crowd as well, as it showed filmmakers especially that you could tell intelligent stories with animation, and certainly grown-up stories, as with Ghost in the Shell, it's not only a cyberpunk tale, but a very philosophical film as well, as we were no doubt going to. But, Stephen, I mean, obviously... For yourself, have you seen Ghost in the Shell prior to this viewing, or was this your first encounter with the film? No, I watched it many, many years ago. Um, I'll fess up now, and you can take away my membership of the Asian F- Film Society, but I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of anima- anime. Okay. Um, uh, I'm not a huge fan of animated films, full stop. Um, and then I'm going to go and probably list about 100 animated films I've watched and enjoyed. But I, I'm not... Um, my, my interest in anime is is on the on the classics i suppose um which ghost in the shell really is so i hadn't actually seen it for maybe 15 years so it was quite good to refresh my knowledge but you're absolutely right it's it's one of those sort of founding pillars of popular anime in the west 
so you've, you've mentioned Akira, um, certainly Ghost in the Shell. I'd probably say Perfect Blue as well. Um, and then something from Studio Ghibli, um, Spirited Away or something like that. Sort of those four or five films, you, you get a, a taste for the more, uh, the more mature filmic cinematic options that the, the anime presents. Oh, definitely. So, and I think when it comes to anime, I think a lot of people have this misconception of what anime is. They assume that it's all fan service and tentacle porn and a lot of these like very twisted ideas. And I think it didn't really help a lot with the fact that when anime was first coming over to the West, we were given very little background. I mean, we had things like the Encyclopedia of Anime, which came over, which gave us a sort of background information but you would have things such as like legends of the overfiend come over which were designed to be shown in like japanese sex clubs and they were brought over here and we would no given background whatsoever and it's sort of like we just thought wow the japanese audiences are in some really extreme things and you would obviously have things such as like crime freeman and these anime that were just very high on blood and gore and tentacles and uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of people were kind of disturbed by what they saw and kind of never came back to it. So I think the more modern anime fans, I think they're a little sport for choice because now we have such variety and sources such as Crunchyroll, which obviously enable you to watch more than just one sort of uh, popular anime with sort of uh, with sort of like more action sort of anime, which is obviously more popular within the 90s when this film was coming out. And it's... Really, I think why Ghost in the Shell and Akira especially stood out so much because while they certainly had elements of violence, they were certainly intelligent, more intelligent pieces and uh, they weren't just sort of throw away where obviously you mentioned Studio Ghibli, which were more sort of fantasy. And I think they also had the advantage of being distributed by Disney. But at the same time, Disney well, contractually not allowed to edit their films in any way. So when they funded Princess Mononoke, I don't think they actually knew what they were getting. And anyone who's seen that film will obviously know that it's uh, it's certainly not Disney. It has some very shocking moments of violence in it, but uh, even though it's got some wonderful, fantastic whimsy there as well. Uh, absolutely. And and actually, something about The Ghost in the Shell, which is is also worth noting, is it, it's actually a Japanese-British production. So it was, it, you know, more, more about the money, I believe, than anything else. But... It, it was it was it was part funded by the West, which is which is interesting because um, you know it, it it shows you it was all, there was already an interest in this thing that was going on in Japan, and I guess it was a perfect storm of um, of, of people wanting to bring this stuff over, probably influenced by the success of Akira, which was a few years before this wasn't it in in terms of anime for sure i know that i know the mangas are fairly um co-temporal but uh the, the films are, are quite a few years apart yeah um because um, akira was was sort of late 80s when that that came that's... over um and it's funny now when we obviously talk about akira still being this benchmark which all anime still measured against and this yeah. is obviously it's an anime from the 80s how many sort of animated uh sort of films from the 80s are you still using as a benchmark for like western animation absolutely and... outside of disney i and no there couple, isn't maybe. any really well uh, 
there's there's that um uh, the mouse tail one isn't there and that's about it i think <laughs> oh, the american tail movie american tail yeah yeah the first yeah. one of them which was probably still quite well thought of but yes um but it's it's absolutely a classic we'll talk about it a little bit more actually want to think about it later okay. um but it's also um what's interesting about akira and about ghost in the shell and a lot of of these anime which which are, which are popular is that the, the science fiction genre. And actually, if you look at live action science fiction outside of the, the dress up stuff <laughs> and, and adaptations of manga and anime in Japan, there isn't a huge amount of science fiction films that they produce. And I think anime in Japan is an outlet for people with science fiction leanings which maybe we don't get else. We don't get in the. So if you flip it, how many yeah. science fiction animations are there in the West? It's, Very few. Yeah, <laughs> it's um. We seem to here in the West, we tend to sort of focus on one genre we like at a time, um, yeah. and then that becomes the the end thing. At the moment, it's obviously superhero movies. Before that, it was I think it was sort of high concept science fiction. Really, uh, was the sort of next the big fad before that. So obviously with uh with Eason they tend to focus on many different genres and I think we're obviously anime it gives you that ability to do many different things at the same time so and, but, um, and of course it's about budget as well with an animation you have a budget but it's in special effects terms it's unlimited so Japanese the Japanese cinema budget for an average film is a fraction of a western film so they can't do they can't they can't do the science fiction the big space opera but they can do as, as they do in the animes more thoughtful which is almost more I, I always compare it to the sort of the films of the, the science fiction western films of the 70s you know like silent running and um even planet of the apes and things like that we actually they use science fiction to talk about modern issues and ghost in the shell is pro- probably predates the modernity but it's actually probably more relevant now than it was then <laughs> Yeah, obviously with with Ghost in the Shell, on the surface we obviously have this sort of action cyberpunk fantasy. Um, we obviously open to Major Kusanagi doing her swan dive in, um, swan dive assassination at the beginning, and we obviously have all these sort of like boys' toys things. So we have hidden machine guns coming out of briefcases. We've got the um, the optical camouflage that uh, the Major wears, which Obviously, being anime involves nudity, which I love the fact in when we've seen the footage from the live action adaptation, they've made the suit more obvious than it is in the anime. Um, And it was only while obviously looking at it a lot more closely and trying to compare the two that I actually noticed that she is actually wearing a suit. It's not just her skin that's got this optical uh, camouflage. But yeah, within that opening sort of 10, 15 minutes, we've got heads exploding. We've got all this uh, action happening and then we go into this into this very um beautifully shot construction of a cyborg body which from the looks of it you can assume is uh, supposed to be the creation of the actual major herself and you see this this cybernetic body being put together and you see it go through the different processes of its getting skin and finally being gaining getting life as it comes up uh, through the water and we actually see the same scene mirrored later in the film with the major who's despite her body being 
potentially heavy and that she could actually just sink um she actually has this love of scuba diving so we see her mirroring this same sort of creation sequence when she we see her rise up through uh the water she's obviously diving in the harbor and you have this constant theme of what is life and what is the soul um especially for a cybernetic being like the major so yeah it's it's certainly a lot deeper than you would expect from from this sort of film especially that one that can combine action and philosophical thought yeah absolutely i mean there's whole wikipedia pages dedicated to the the philosophy <laughs> of ghosts in the show um which i, I think i think's a credit to it because it was it was able to talk about that and still find an audience that maybe we're looking for something as as you sort of suggested in the uh, in your opening uh speech about it was a little more hardcore the anime we were getting across you know it was it was appealing to a a teenage boy kind of market and this this was something much deeper and yeah. and and the ideas it talks about are are philosophical or metaphysical um and when we're talking about you know what, what is it is it that makes you human and the interaction and the and the takeover of technology on on human on humanity is 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 even more relevant today isn't it than it was back in 1995 hmm. i mean how did you actually find the switching of tones within this film the fact that it, as i say it switches from both like scenes of action and scenes of uh sort of cyborg philosophy um how did you find the blending of those two styles i actually i actually really struggle with it because okay. I, I, I mean, it's it's not a terribly long film. It's a, short of an hour and a half, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I find the bits where it is people talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 stuff, well, sort of stuff floats around. I found that um, that was interesting, but also interminable. Um, okay. The action stuff is great but actually means very little at the end of the day. Um, so I'm going to sound like I, I hate the film, which is not true at all, but I, I really did struggle with it. It was quite a challenge. Okay. And the, sec the second time round, as a, as a more mature person, I probably enjoyed it more. Yeah. Yeah, I think like Akira, this one, it requires a couple of watches to take it all in because it does throw around some heavy ideas. Of, and it can be a bit of a struggle to take it all in, especially at the end, which we will come to a bit later. Um the original ending i wasn't too sure what had actually happened by the end of this film the first time i watched it and it was only i think the second or third time that it was sort of like made a little bit more sense but um the action scenes in this i really enjoy the action in this it's probably some of my favorite anime action of any uh, sort of anime film we obviously have the opening assassination uh, carried out by the major we've got this scene where a garbage man has been conned into carrying out carrying out uh, these hacks across the city where, while he's under the illusion that he's actually hacking into his ex-wife's um, accounts. Um, but he's actually conducting all this in uh, industrial espionage on behalf of the puppet master and he doesn't actually realise it. So we have this wonderful scene where the Section uh, 6 agents, obviously, sorry, the Section 9 agents are chasing this garbage truck um, across and they find the guy who's obviously set him up and you have this chase across the uh, Across his vision of uh, Tokyo, where this this guy they're chasing, he's using fibro optical camouflage, and you've got one of the agents, Batu, who's like 
the sort of right hand man of the major who's there and he's trying to see where this guy's gone because he's like completely invisible and he's like looking at the crowd in this marketplace and you looking for any sort of signs that are given away before obviously having this uh, shootout in the middle of a crowded market which obviously made me think that in the future that the police have uh, different methods to approach the police work than perhaps they do now and that you know having random gunfights in credit marketplaces perfectly acceptable it would seem yeah the, the whole setup of the future actually that, that's another thing i sort of struggle with because there's, there's all this thing about there's something going on with a with a visit from a foreign government from another from another country with a with a you know, made-up country and and there's a there's a there's somebody who's meant to be sent back a like a political dissident or something like that and it's all set up at the beginning and then all disappears <laughs> it's, it's never never really referenced again and, and there's as you said there's section six and section nine who are against each other which feels a bit like sort of um, the cia versus the fbi sort of thing going on yeah. isn't there like um but kind of that, none of that really matters so yes the action in and of itself they're really brilliantly filmed sequences but I'm never too sure what the point of any of it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it, it doesn't always. From it didn't for me stand up to a great deal of scrutiny in terms of plot. But I guess at the end of the day, that's not really what it's what it's interested in. No, it's. I think it's it's that in many ways it's there for one part spectacle and the other part to. Uh, hold the interest so it's not just all being bogged down in in philosophy. I mean, the actual original manga, the character of the major, she's a lot more younger and she's a lot more sort of a lot more carefree. And I think we saw this more in the spin-off series to this film, uh, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, which was a little lighter and exists on its own timeline, so it ignores essentially the events of this film um, and just has its own separate timeline. Um, and that, in that way, they were able to make the major a little lighter than we obviously see in this film. And we, and obviously at the end, we have this standout sequence with the major taking on with like very ill prepared. She's there taking on this futuristic version of a tank, uh, which is like this robot spider. And all the in both these action scenes, the music is not like pounding rock or anything any sort of traditional sort of Hollywood approach to how we would soundtrack uh, an action scene is kind of very laid back orchestral and choral music that we have. Uh, the soundtrack being put together by Kenshi Kawa. Um, it goes, it's a lot very different than I would uh, obviously expect. I mean, obviously he's done other work. I mean, he's done a lot of work for Hido Nakata with the soundtrack for both Ring, Ring 2, Chaos and Doc Water as well as Caden. So he's uh, obviously one of those uh those soundtrack artists of note but it's a very unique approach he takes to the soundtrack here i mean do you like the soundtrack to this one steven before i go to the soundtrack did you not think of john peters and superman lives when you saw the giant spider this time <laughs> you know they're the famous <laughs> <Kevin> Smith story <laughs> but, but i wonder if that's what inspired him because we might talk about how it inspired the the makers of the matrix well i'm pretty sure john peter saw this and thought oh, i want a giant spider in every film uh, to make <laughs> but coming back to your question about the music i adore the music and the soundtrack to this it's so different there's all sorts of different sounds and noises from the orchestral to the electronic to you know, there's there's some traditional Japanese tunes hidden in there as well. The uh, I don't want to call it the music, but the soundtrack to this film is fantastic. 
and makes me wish I'd seen it in the cinema. Yes. It's just so different. It's so unusual. It's unnerving. It takes you... It, yeah, it, take, it, take, it takes your, your oral senses some, somewhere else and shows you, you know, this, this, this is a different place. This is a different future. Something different's going on. But at the same time, it's very much rooted in the here and now. Mm-hmm. I think it only heightens that final confrontation between when the major's obviously trying to track and get a hold of this this uh th- this body which the the puppet master's been trapped within and she's obviously battling the, this tank and the fact that when we have her obviously like trying to find a way that she's obviously going to take out this tank so it's like trying to work trying to take out its weapons make it run out of ammunition and the scene especially where she's trying to pull the hatch off the tank and we have, the, as I said, the the subtle sort of soundtrack that the orchestral score it really heightens the imagery that you're seeing compared to if it was like gone for like a more traditional sort of rocky sort of route. Um, it had like some pounding guitars and stuff. It, and I really, it makes me just want to see what they're going to do because like you can see when you look at the trailers for the live action version, you can see scenes from this film that they've obviously adapted for the live action version and i can't help but feel that we're going to see this same sequence with the tank in the live action version i really i'm looking forward to seeing how they approach the soundtrack with that version so yeah and and i think that scene is probably the the key scene of the film and and i i've seen in you know top 10 of manga scenes ever and things like that you know that 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 fight and and it's actually quite hard, you know. She basically loses, doesn't she? I mean, she—it's not a good fight for her. <laughs> you know, her her body is taken apart, and and that's that's you know. Although there's a fair bit of the film to go, um, it, it's 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 quite a, that is a stunning sequence, and and works on all the levels. And and I, I can only back you up what, what you're saying about the music. Yeah, and I think my other favorite part of the sequence is obviously when Batu turns up and uh, basically blast the tank apart. And it's like, well, what did you hit it with? I mean, it's like, oh, just your standard issue big gun. Yeah, which <laughs> which is a callback to, from um, a previous, uh, something happened previously. Remember there's the guy that's part of their team that she keeps on because he's mostly human. And yeah, he, um, Ishikawa. Yeah, and, and so so he says he just, used, you know, he, he's obviously us, isn't he? He's he's he's, he's the guy that, that he's, he's, he's not a cybernetic person he's a real person and but he, he makes a comment about using a real gun doesn't he yeah he prefers and, to use a revolver yeah so she admonishes him for that and 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 although i'm disappointed that that whole subplot never really goes anywhere does it <laughs> but um <laughs> which which always makes me think there's more to it than this but um yeah i, I agree and there's, there's an interesting about batu as well is that of course we have this this feminine major. She, she's a woman, although there is some talk, and I can't remember if it's in the subtitles or the dub, where they talk about she can't menstruate anymore. Which it, one one mentions it, one doesn't, but it, it it's quite clear quite early on that she may look like a woman, but she's not a human anymore. Yeah, no. she doesn't do things that we do. And Bartu, he looks like this great big hulk of a man, doesn't he? Um, yeah, traditionally he'd be the action hero, but actually their relationships are a bit reversed she's the guy and he's the woman right <laughs> that's mm. um you know he, he although he does save the day as you say in that fight at the end he's the one caring for her and he's the one that's left behind 
when 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 she moves on to the next stage of her life so that there's an interesting sort of gender stuff along with all the what is it to be human what it, all, all the metaphysical stuff you know where, where is your soul in 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 the shell but there's also there's also some sort of gender politics at play there which is which is really heady and deep stuff yeah i know what you mean i mean with bato he's such an interesting character because obviously he's while he's obviously got cybernetic prosthetics um he's still essentially human and unlike the major is obviously a full cyborg and she actually mentions that like partway through that she can't really retire because her body's owned by the section. So yes, they have. To, they, if if they retire, they have to give all their enhancements back. <laughs> so essentially, she has to give herself back to, to the department if she ever chose to retire. And the fact she can't really do any of these outlets, like she, her body's designed so that she can't get drunk. So while she engages in all these human sort of pastimes, such as diving and drinking, it's. It's really just going for the motions for her. It doesn't actually mean anything to her, even though she obviously puts this deeper meaning on um, her diving experiences and views when she comes back to the surfaces where being reborn. And Batu's kind of like this opposite. He's like the least philosophical character here. He's engaged in these discussions with the major, but at the same time, he doesn't really have any opinion on this at all. He just sees everything for what it is um, he's, very straight, he's very straightforward isn't he yeah and i i really love batu he's probably one of my favorite anime characters and i look the subtle things about his character such as whenever the major is naked um like at the end and when she does her reveal when she ta- has the battle with the fug and she like comes away she uh takes off her her thermal optic camouflage so she's she's naked. The fact he takes his jacket off and covers her over. So even though she's a cyborg, he still treats her like she's a woman. He still respects her modesty, uh, which I thought was just a really nice touch, even though she's obviously covered in her way. Um, he still feels well, he, that, you know, to be respectful. Yeah, and I think uh, this is sort of feeds back to what I'm saying, but it's almost the gender role flipping going on. He's the nurturer. He's the carer um, yeah. in that relationship. And she's the... I guess the more traditional male role, whatever whatever labels you want to put on that. So it's it's an interesting dynamic, and and I just I just love the way that visually they look a certain way, but they act not opposite to how they look, but differently to how you'd expect. If you have the sound down and the subtitles off, you may view that film in a completely different way. Yeah, you would assume that he's the hero and she's the psychic, but it's very much the reverse, really. Yeah, it's absolutely. like um, it's like Jack Burton in Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, he's Perfect. he's he's the psychic. That's that's yeah. what his role is in this. And um, yeah, he's it's obviously he gets his shining moment at the end of this this film. And even when we obviously have this final showdown between the major and the puppet master, and they're obviously talking about what the puppet master is and and essentially looking at this uh looking at how they perceive forward and i'm just going to say spoiler alert now that obviously when it with the major and the puppet master they realize that they're essentially got the same life philosophy and decides to merge into this new life form um, which obviously ends with the major now in a child cyborg body which i have no idea where batu got that from you got it and on the black market he says 
<laughs> really? The, the fact there is a, a black market for child cyborgs, um, draw your own conclusions. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, it's probably one of those uh, questions best not asked about what <laughs> what people are doing with those. But so yeah, we obviously had the major's head attached to a child's body, which is weird. In the new dub they brought out, they actually when she speaks, her voice is now a child's voice, but in the original VHS that, cut, she just has the major's voice still, which that's is kind of so weird. I saw, I saw the I saw the original the original dub. And um, yeah, she's very much just the same person, and and it takes a little while to understand quite what's gone on. Yeah, and I th- I think what we're saying is I think she's she's as far as 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 the cybernetic physical has gone, and the and the and the puppet master is is like an AI, isn't he? And they they they, they kind of mate to create a new being that's the best of both worlds i think is the idea and 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 taking a child's form is that that she's been born into the world as this new this new being unfortunately my struggle with it is then the film ends and actually that's the bit i've started really getting interested in is, is what happens next and um i rarely say this about movies but i could have done with another half an hour (laughs) <laughs> just to to follow that that journey along for, to to and 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 but I guess I suppose as you quite rightly said there are a couple of scenes of her her birth as at the beginning of the film isn't there which is repeated in the in the scuba diving scene and this is just another birth that's going on for her so I guess it I guess there's a there's that mirror all the way through the film it, it is a little frustrating, the fact that we, it ends so suddenly. I mean, the fact that this is obviously 1995, we have to wait until, what, 2000? And I don't remember when, uh, when Innocence came out now. I mean, this is obviously... About 2002, I think, or something like that. Yeah, maybe, so... Maybe even later. But, um, yeah, so I've never seen... So I've only ever seen Ghost in the Shell. So I'm unaware of the, of the spiritual sequel. I'm unaware of 2.0 where I think they, they added some extra graphics as well as the new dub, didn't they? Yeah. And I'm unaware of the the ongoing series, the, the standalone complex stuff. So in and of itself, I was a little dissatisfied, which maybe explains my, not dislike of the film, but mm. my my inability to really get into it, because actually I wanted more, <laughs> and I feel disappointed. Okay, it's yeah, it's it uh, it just ends kind of suddenly. You think, oh, we're just we're just getting going, and we're gonna go somewhere else, and then nope, just ends. <laughs> yeah. Um, just want to talk a little bit about the actual design now, because this is again is an anime like Akira. There's so much beauty in the detail of this cityscape that's been designed here. It's very much based on Hong Kong, um, the cityscape we get to see here, and we also get to see uh, Oshi's trademark which is beagles um as his pet beagle turns up uh this time is a series of posters um with uh Oshi's movies it's always fun to see where the beagle actually turns up and this is obviously his uh little tribute to his pet beagle he likes to include in all his films so uh if you're looking for the beagle this time he appears as a series of posters so the, the beagle is hitchcock <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The the the, the actual design of of this this futuristic um, 
and it, I mean, it's, it's clearly based on Hong Kong because you see on all the signs, it's a mix of, of, of English, of Chinese characters and of Japanese characters. Um, by the way, a little bit of, um, felt a little bit of like Venice as well. There's a lot of the, the waterways that are there. Yeah. I know that that's actually sort of something that Tokyo has in its, in its suburbs, but it, 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 it's reminiscent of, I suppose, all the, the sort of elephant in the room is of Blade Runner, isn't it, in that sense? I would say, yeah, definitely Blade Runner is uh, one of those influences that you can you can see uh, with this film. And it's unsurprising the fact that this film has been cited as like an influence influence to people like Wachowskis, who keep threatening to remake it as a live action, and frankly, they never got their paws on it. Um, no, they, 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 they did steal the opening credits, though, didn't they? <laughs> there's many things Wachowski has stolen. I think they all... They all um, <laughs> they owe Dark City also a, a, a sizable nod as well with the design. I did, I, yeah, I did read somewhere so their producer came to them and showed them this and said, let's make this for real. And it ended up as the Matrix. But um, <laughs> um, but I, I think that's a little, I think, to, to be fair, it's maybe I mean, what filmmaker doesn't take from his inspiration. Well, as, um, as they tell you in writing class, there are no original ideas, just yeah. reworkings and adaptations of existing ideas. So, yeah, no, no that, 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 I, I, again, can't, I can't but disagree. I uh, can't but agree with you. The other thing I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed this, but it might just be projecting, but you notice her eyes, the way she always seemed to be staring at us watching quite often because it's, it's the classic anime trope of a, the, the female character has big eyes. As Bartu, you can't ever see his, but her eyes are massive, <laughs> aren't they? Um, and that, 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 that's a trope in anime to show expression um but usually of the female character and but her eyes they they they, they latch on to you as the viewer on three four five six occasions and i found that quite disturbing but intriguing as well but um, i wonder if that was just me i don't can't say that i've uh, picked up i mean i noticed the cold dead eyes of the major uh which yeah. obviously put down to the fact that she's obviously a cyborg so she's not yeah i didn't i didn't see them cold and dead i saw them as she's seeing into our world um because there is there is you know maybe we're in the what do they call what do they call the connected world well, i guess i guess it's like the precursor of the internet but i wonder if we're in it and she can see us in it or something like that i don't know but uh that, that, that was just a weird thing a weird, weird feeling i got especially the second time i watched it yeah um the animation here is obviously a mixture of uh, cell animation, so traditional animation, as well as CG animation, which here is used to great effect. And obviously, traditional cell animation has kind of gone by the wayside as more companies prefer the quicker, more cost-effective use of CG animation. Um, but there is something about this. I mean, a lot of when you look at a lot of cell animation, it doesn't age well, but for some reason, this and Akira, they even if you're looking at the uncleaned up version. So if we're looking at like the original 1995 VHS cut of this film, it still looks really nice. There's so much detail. I mean, if we just like look at the marketplace, the people that are moving around, these aren't like cloned characters. They're all individual characters. We got like the little cat on the roof of the market uh, stalls, and just the the painstaking detail. I just think really just helps this film stand out. I mean, is there any particular scenes that you liked animation-wise in this film that sort of stood out to you, or did you just like it as a whole, really? I think 
I think probably as a whole, I, I know what you mean because it, it really created. The, I mean, it, it spends. There's a there's a sequence where we sort of go through the city. There's sort of cuts different parts. The bit where I mentioned it was like Venice. Yeah, they they spend some yeah. time on the canals and they cut through. Just hit you know here's 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 a wall. Here's the here's here's the shopping centre. You know, and 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 it says, hang on, there's a real place we've built up here. Yeah, we've thought about this. You know, yes, we all know it's Hong Kong, but that's because Hong Kong represents, especially in sort of in in that era that probably represented some kind of ideal certainly in asia didn't it of 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 the city of the future of where where technology and the hustle and bustle of of chinese life meets the new world that, that that's appearing on the horizon with the world wide web and, and 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 personal technologies and and things like prosthetics and so on and so forth so but it, it, it's it's not it's not so much a style it's more just the general care it took about introducing us and, and putting us into that world mm. um th- th- yeah sorry you, you go i was just about to say you obviously mentioned about obviously these precursors to the internet world that we obviously live in now and especially of as of late we've got all these uh these worries that any of our smart technology can be hacked into at any time so people can hack into your smart TV and see how many Games of Thrones episodes you're watching. <laughs> well, absolutely. The whole internet of things, yeah, where, where everything is, and, you know, don't talk to Donald Trump, you know, his TV's watching him, but it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's that's, and that's why I said at the beginning, I, I felt it's, it's probably even more relevant today where we are almost in that world. You know, VR is a real thing that's completely, really in people's homes it's not it's not it's not it's not the um it's not the four hour science fiction anymore it's science facts yeah um people spend all day in these virtual artificial worlds whether they be minecraft or um just chat rooms or whatever um it, it's a, so we're nearly there and and of course you have you know you have you have that concept especially in japan yeah. of people who don't leave their house who don't leave you know they stay in and they eat junk food and never leave the house and they just they just live in a connected world but whereas it maybe once was the province of the weird now we're all like that just walk down the street and see how many people are looking at their smartphone all the time <laughs> yes we're, yeah. we're getting there pretty hard to beat that pokemon go habit yeah <laughs> absolutely well uh, augmented reality there's another example for you you know we're, we're, we're getting there so that, that and that so that's maybe one of, i think maybe it's to stand the test of time like all good science fiction does it, it, it's it's both of its time and forward thinking and it, it's it's fast it's fascinating how actually accurate it is in some of its predictions yeah on the other hand when, when you talk about um the animation some of it is almost I know this sounds silly. It's a cartoon-like. You know, some of the car chases. I yeah. swear, cars squeeze through gaps, <laughs> literally. Yeah, <laughs> and rather than um, so, it's, it's not. Um, so, did you see uh, your name, which came out uh, back end of last year? Was um, that was equally as beautiful in terms of how it represented the world, but it was an incredibly realistic world. Whereas this, this still has an element of cartoonness about it um just just occasionally so there's a kind of a mix and maybe maybe some people might find that a bit of a struggle that it it does 
change and then you have that sort of proto cgi stuff that you mentioned about in some sequences i mean this is early days isn't it for for for, for computer animation really um and it can be a little bit jarring which i believe you went back and sort of made even more jarring in the in the sort of second attempt at it there's certainly uh, elements where it is perhaps a little more traditional anime, as you said, with like the car chases. They, the vehicles don't exactly uh, rely on realistic physics, it has to be said. Um, I'm not sure that you can really conduct a car chase in a garbage truck, but um, <laughs> I'm not sure they explode as much as uh, as uh, they certainly do in this film, let alone the fact you can fire high high impact ammunition from a simple uzi yeah there's there's certain things which uh i think a little more outlandish a little more fantasy sort of base um i have to say this time around the idea of having your essentially your mind hacked i found a whole lot scarier than i did when i first watched this and i think it's with hackers being everywhere now so when you've obviously got the garbage man and he thinks he's living this life where he's got an ex-wife and he's got a daughter that he's trying to see and they're like no that's that's all fancy this is all like a total recall style fancy you're actually just this sad bachelor who's been living in this pathetic little apartment filled with trash for like the last 10 years um and everything you think is reality isn't this is just all this fake reality that's been given to you and obviously as we rely more on internet-based tech and smart tech the idea that like one day that we could have like our sense of reality hacked um and then we think we're living one life but we're actually uh living a completely different life so and, and again it just brings me back to it it's something that was you know this this film's getting on for 20 years old yeah yeah and it's absolutely more relevant today it's so forward thinking and i i get part of the disappointment is i wanted more of that i wanted more about the world because the general story the, the sort of the the plot as such if we if we strip away the metaphysics is fairly simple yeah um but i wanted to you know that that was that that's 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 heady stuff yeah and of course that's what they took for the matrix that's that was that was the guts of what the matrix was about really i suppose but it's 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 it's, it's fascinating that it was so forward thinking yeah i think the matrix as we keep coming back to i think it tried to do the same sort of heavy ideas but it got it got lost in its own message um where with the matrix it decided that it was going to go with oh we're going to create we're going to create this neo jesus role with uh with the Keanu Reeves character, um, it it just it tried to be philosophical and just ended up coming off stupid. So, uh, I again go. I, I enjoyed the first one. The second two, I can imagine, never happened. <laughs> I like the, I like the second one. It's it's grown on me over time, and I think I've become a little more forgiving, especially because I've seen the third one, and it's like, well, it's not as bad as that. Um, I still persist that the ending of the third one should have had him like wake up and he's back in cubicle hell so he's just yeah. back to being mr smith working in the cubicle searching for what the meaning of life is on his computer and it just goes full circle um that's how it should have ended but uh yeah and no. we do have to and we do have to blame for bullet time which i'm afraid is still a trope people are still are people <laughs> still, still doing that yeah you oh. still see it but there we go yeah um final thoughts on ghost in the shell i mean there's anything else you want to discuss in this one i think i think we've covered everything i'd written down in my notes um i just i just 
I feel it's one of these times I feel I've come across as a bit of a negative ninny about it, but and that I think before I watched it again this week, I really felt it was one of those films that's uh, it's an important text in anime and in animation cinema, but not a very good one. Okay, you know it. I, I, you know maybe its influences were more. Um, important than the film itself, but actually, I think I'm. I think I'm actually, especially talking to you as well. I think I'm actually coming around to it as actually, it, 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 it's it's an important science fiction film. Yeah, full stop. The fact that it's anime is the fact it comes from Japan. That's all fairly pointless stuff. Yeah, that the important thing is this is this is proper thoughtful science fiction, which does what science fiction should do, and look at the now. And look at the but by 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 the way of the future. Yeah, um, for myself, it still remains an essential anime. I think if you are into anime or getting into anime, then this should be one of your first stops. Um, I don't feel that you can call yourself an anime fan if you've not seen Ghost in the Shell, even if you don't like it. I mean, I can understand why people wouldn't like it. I mean, even the Grand Pooh Bar himself, Roger Ebert, said that he felt that it perhaps would struggle to reach a larger audience because of the actual film. It's a little too complex and murky to reach a large audience. And it really wasn't until its second hour that the story begins to reveal its meaning. And I can understand, understand that, but somewhere between like the visuals and the action and uh, the actual storyline itself, if you strip away the philosophical meandings, it, it is still a very enjoyable piece of cyberpunk there, even if it perhaps goes a little deeper than um, a lot of cyberpunk is, and it sort of hinges a little more on philosophical than you would expect from this side of film. I would still, um, still think there is something there to appeal to uh, most sort of cyberpunk fans, even even if uh, it is a little heavy in places. But uh, yeah, Ghost and Shell, uh, I recommend for myself. Uh, um, but yeah, thank you. I think that's uh, all we really have to say on Ghost and Shell. Well, uh, I, just, I just had a question for you quickly. And okay. You can, you can cut this if you want. But I'm interested in your thoughts on the fact that there is a live-action remake. Do you think that's, do you think that's a valid thing? Are you looking um, forward to it? When they first announced the live-action... I was extremely cautious. I was like, oh no, Hollywood are going to mess something else up. And then I saw Beat Takashi being cast. And the rule of thumb is that in Beat Takashi, we trust. Um, <laughs> because Beat Takashi is a, he's one of those legendary figures within Asian cinema. And he's was obviously, he was in Battle Royale, he was in Violent Cop and Boiling Point and um, he had a brief dalliance with Western cinema when he came over and did the film for production brother before deciding that, you know, he really didn't like the Hollywood system. And he was like, I'm going to go back to, <laughs> to, uh, Japan where I can just be a God and produce Takashi's castle and whatnot. So the fact that he was cast gave me hope for this film. Um, for myself, for the casting of the major, um, the person I really wanted to be cast was um, from P the film Pacific Rim. Um, the I'm trying to remember her name now. Uh, uh, Vinico Kinchu. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's, she's yeah, she's a um, excellent actress. For myself, she would have been the best casting for the major. Uh, but now I've obviously seen 
when I saw the first trailer for it come out and I see that Scarlett Johansson, she's really tapped into the character of the Major and she's got that same awkward haircut as the Major. But yep. the film visually looks absolutely stunning and it looks like they're trying to do do a honest adaptation of the anime. At the same time, I keep seeing bits of odd footage that seem to be indicating they're taking this in a direction I don't want them to take it. Um, But I'm going to watch it. I'm more hopeful for this than I am with a lot of adaptations, certainly. Yeah, no, I I mean, I, I just hope... I, I'm interested, right? I'm, 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 I'm interested because visually it looks stunning, and you know, Scarlett Johansson is a is a is a is a fine actress. I just hope the whole whitewashing angle doesn't yeah. doesn't hurt it because actually, if there's, I, I don't I don't believe the people behind it, the original work, see it as a problem. Um, you, 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 there are plenty of Asian remakes of Western films that don't star white people. Um, and if there's any film w- where actually it doesn't matter, it's this because this is about people in fake bodies. This is about people who are in bodies, you know, they want to be different. And that's, that's, you know, culturally, if you look at the rise of p- plastic surgery amongst sort of South Korean women, um, the Japanese female obsession with white skin. It all kind of fits, yeah. <laughs> um, as so, what, what I'm hoping is, whilst whitewashing is an absolutely important thing, this isn't the film to pick on for it. Yeah, it kind of it kind of makes sense as long as the filmmakers address that and address it head on. I hope it beats that because I am I'm I'm mildly optimistic. It's I think it's because it's such. It's an anime title that the fan the fan community hold in such high regard. It's like this this hallowed object. It's like Akira, um, and the fact that they don't like people messing with it. They it is they see it is perfect the way it is. You don't need to remake it. I think a lot of people saw it as being a bit of a cash in. The fact that it's directed by the director of uh, Snow White and the Huntsman certainly didn't do it any favours. If it had been mm. picked up by someone like a very visual artist, so someone like Guillermo del Toro, for example, mm. that I think people may have been a little more forthcoming. Someone who's got a background and interest in anime rather than just someone who's like, it, it's just a gig. That probably would have, would have helped things. But as I said, there's... It's the smaller elements I'm taking away. The fact it looks very nice. The fact Beat Takashi Takano is going to be starring as Chief uh, Chief Tatsu, which makes me very hopeful. Um, and the fact that the visually it does look to be trying to stay very similar to obviously what we see in the anime. So uh, and, we will wait and, and see. And and frankly, the fact it's over twenty years old, I think that's you know if 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 it was two years after. I think that's that's when you shouldn't remake it. But this is a, I think this is time enough time has passed for a a, a Western live action remake to be utterly valid. Okay, we will see. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> by the time we'll this see. next episode comes out, we may be like, damn it, they ruined another one. Yeah, we'll have an, we'll have we'll have we'll have an edit where we um, <laughs> we, we we say, oh my god, we were such idiots, even being vaguely hopeful. But so. Uh, Let's see. All I know that Scott, the only thing that I've really learned about the film as of late is the fact that Scott Johansson says that the major 
uh, thermal optics suit that she has to wear is more comfortable than the one she has to wear for Black Widow. So, uh, good for her, I guess. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will be looking at our further watching recommendations for this episode. You are about to witness history in the making. Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films, and if you spend all your time watching new releases, then you need to broaden your movie horizons. And a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Filmcast. We don't talk about the new releases, we don't even talk about the classics. We talk about the movies that time forgot. On each episode, I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering. So look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. And we're back. Uh, obviously, in the first half, we talked about our feature film for this premiere episode, Ghost in the Shell. We're now going on to our further viewings list. This is where myself and Stephen are going to both give you an additional title to hunt down for yourselves and check out. Uh, and uh, I'm going to pass it over to you, Stephen. I mean, what have you chosen for your, your further watching pick for this episode? Okay, so what I've decided to do is, is stick in the world of animation um i'm not sure we can call a south korean animation anime but um i can't think what the right term for it is but um and and, and sort of I'll, I'll go I'll, I'll cheat and sneak in a second film by way of introduction so one of the best films i saw last year was um yon sang ho's train to busan which was a really fresh interesting fun take on the zombie movie um Big, massive hit in South Korea. Fairly big hit internationally. It got a lot of good press. Yun Sang-ho, however, that was his first um, live-action film. And he's, he's actually more famous for doing um, some quite dark animation. So I think King of Pigs and Fake have had quite a lot of, uh, lot, lot of good play. And he sort of simultaneously made a prequel to Train to uh, Busan called Soul Station, which sort of sets up the story that plays out in um, in uh, Train to Busan in a, in an animated, a full length animated movie, which is absolutely fabulous in and of its own right. Um, it's as all good zombie movies, it's about something else altogether. It's about how poor how poor and poverty is treated in South Korea. Um, it escalates and then has a final act where it shows you who the real monsters are. Um, the real monsters aren't the zombies. The real monsters are just everyday people, I'm afraid. So it's about to come out, I believe, on DVD and video on demand in the UK. So I imagine that's going to be true in other, other Western areas like the USA as well. And it's highly recommended. And if you enjoy Train to Busan, it's a different sort of film, not just because it's animated, um, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's a bit less action-y and it's um, a bit more thoughtful. But um, two fantastic zombie movies for fans of the genre and uh just just fantastic movie full stop cool um yeah train to Bouchon, it's uh become one of those in vogue asian cinema movies at the moment it's been one of those films that everyone likes to talk about and i'm actually surprised that we've finally seen the dvd release as of uh as of this week i believe uh as if we're recording um because i thought it was gonna be like snowpiercer and just one of those movies that did the rounds on like the festival circuit and then disappeared for the UK audiences. Uh, oh, never it's interesting because both that and the whaling, which is another, I'll, I'll get three in um, <laughs> the whaling. South, one of the f 
the greatest horror movies of all time. I'm not, you know, I can't speak. It was Eastern Kicks film of the year. Um, and as a rule, I mean, I actually voted for something else, but it, it was it was a landslide from all the contributors. We all voted and it came out top clearly. Um, and that got a UK DVD release as well. Um, so there's clearly a market again for high quality, certainly South Korean yeah. um, movies again. So do you think this is going to mark the start of a new rise in Asian horror again? Because we obviously had back in in what 2000 we had the rise of the j horror we had things like audition and ring and the grudge all coming through and you had this like explosion of sort of lesser titles the more smaller titles such as things such as like uh evil dead trap uh coming through and and uh perhaps like the doll master and then it kind of all disappeared we reached the saturation point and it kind of like disappeared so do you think this is like a second coming for asian horror I'm not sure, but I, what I think there is, I think there's a market for not necessarily. I think mostly for horror. I think I think you're right there, but I think there is a there is a market. There's some intelligent, interesting films coming out, and people in, you know, distributors in in the UK for sure, and I think in the US, talking to some of my US contacts, are getting exposed to it. So I don't think it'll be quite as all pervasive as maybe the Tartan era was, but there's certainly an audience again. Um, I don't think as many good films are being made. I don't think there's that, that I don't think as many are being produced, but the fact that train to Bashan was such a box office hit in South Korea, as was the whaling. I can't not think there aren't more ready for this summer as well. And, and, and maybe the summer after. So there's an audience and more interestingly, and this kind of feeds back to what I was talking about a year ago when I was last on your podcast, I talked about the um, how Netflix were picking up on Asian um, dramas. Well, they're, they're, they've, they've commissioned a Netflix original series, a South Korean drama, which is um, a zombie film, a, a zombie series set in the Joseon era. So if that doesn't tell you there's a market for asian horror in a in a binge watching format um and, you know, and i think this is actually this isn't just um this isn't just uh, netflix you know slapping the netflix original on a on a home on a foreign made thing i think this is a actual proper investment that they're making in 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 the series so that would be my current watermark is what are netflix doing and netflix certainly are seeing a market there cool um Right. Uh, for myself, um, also going to be another anime title. Uh, this is the 2009 film Red Line. This is directed by Takashi Kuroke, who, if you're a fan of The Matrix, in particular the Animatrix, he did the segment World Record. And this is actually his feature-length debut. Now, Kyoko has uh, been known as being a key animator on many of the old-school anime titles. He did things such as like Ninja Scroll, Uido City 808, uh, Wicked City. He also worked on Dead Leaves, which is certainly a key inspiration for this uh, anime, which draws also inspiration from the likes of Heavy Metal, 2008 D, um, the franchise uh artist mobius he also takes in like the likes of akira as well to create this wonderful uh very western looking anime uh this is a full action anime this was 
spent about seven years in production. Um, it was originally intended to be released along as part of Madhouse's uh, quadology of films which, which featured Summer Wars, May May Miracle and Yonder Yonder Penguin. And this one actually ended up being delayed just due to the production running over. But it's well worth it as this is a fantastic paced racing action anime uh the best way to describe this would be wacky races shot through the lens of aeon flux as we have this race known as a red line which uh takes place on different planets in the case this case it's taking place on the robo world which is run by these militant cyborgs who really have taken offense to this race being carried out there and have decided to basically rage war on the racers the racers themselves are a real mixed bunch we've got the um the pompadour hero um jp who is racing against his love interest and rifle of sorts, the wonderfully named uh, Soshi Cherry Boy Hunter McLaren. And this is an anime which features a cyborg whose body is also his vehicle. We've got a dirty cop and a team of bounty hunters being pursued by a dead, said dirty cop, as well as a psychic princess team. So it throws in all sorts of wonderful, weird ideas. The animation is very fast and frantically paced and throws any like logic completely out of the window just to jack up more frills. So if you're looking for like a fun just sort of action anime that isn't heavy on philosophy and deep thinking like our selection was this evening, then uh, Redline's definitely worth checking out. Um, but that brings us to the end of the first edition of the AC Film Club. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest Stephen for obviously joining me this evening. It's my pleasure as always. Uh, if you want to come and find your work, where's the best place to find you as always? Okay, well if you want to look at um, my own writing, uh, that'll be it. Uh, com, which is where I I do the things that I want to do um, and I've been doing that now for longer than I care to talk about um, and I also write for easternkicks.com um, which is your number one source for Asian cinema in the UK. Yes, sponsors <laughs> but, um, please. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, that'd be nice. Be nice if, but um, where, I, where um, I'll look at different sort of things we're very much focused on supporting festivals around the world we've got contributors from just about every continent um i'm very very focused on on not just reviews but news interviews and articles um focused on the wide world of asian cinema which does include places other than um china and hong kong and japan and south korea but we also you know sometimes delve into iran and places like that yeah it's a fantastic site um it's certainly one of my favorite sort of hangouts for obviously my asian cinema kick because it does obviously go a lot deeper than just the usual sort of uh hits that you do unearth some unusual titles as well as looking at a lot of the classic ones uh i've really loved the shaw bros retrospective that's been happening there as well uh so it's been good to see some of my uh, favorite titles such as uh heroes from the east getting uh, right up on there as well so yeah, definitely check out Eastern Kicks and uh, and obviously Stephen's main site, Guerrilla Ramblings, as well. Um, obviously, if you uh, want to 
see more of my own ramblings you can do on from the gypsy dvd hell which is from the gypsy dvd hell.blogspot.co.uk uh you can follow me on facebook as well we're on twitter as well which is at elwood underscore jones and there i do uh obviously list all the various podcast activities and new reviews and things that i'm putting up so uh either of those two places best place to uh, obviously keep up if you do have a film that you would like to see reviewed on a future edition of the ac film club please do let us know you can do either by sending me an email which is elwood.jones99 at yahoo.co.uk or you can also just uh, send it through on the twitter which is uh as we said at uh elwood underscore jones or just shoot it across on the facebook on the uh from the depths dvd hell page as well um but again thank you to Stephen for joining me this evening and talk about ghost in the shell on our next episode we are going to be looking at toho's second attempt to capture the magic of king kong with king kong escapes which will feature king kong taking on his mechie version also known as mechie kong so uh we hope you can join us for that next time uh as for the mad band direct strange showcase i will be back with a new episode very shortly we have got brendan tenold of the ben and toe cult movie reviews the youtube podcast series i hope that you can uh, obviously uh, join us uh, for that episode which should be up very soon um uh, until next time though this is Edward jones signing off uh, the first edition of the ac film club remind you as always to keep it strange きのうの恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ胸に刺さった恋の刃が燃える思いを狂わすのさ昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ